Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. Awesome. Okay, you guys already cracked yours, so now I can I can join I was, in. I, I was thinking we were already recording before I cracked it. Oh, well. No, that's okay. Well, that's okay. I had to go. Hey, cheers, by the way. Good to see you guys. Cheers. Yeah. Good yeah. to see you. I'm too, Casey. Thank you. Yeah. I had to uh, dig deep into the fridge. Um, I pulled out a beer that's like from a mixer. I can't even pronounce it. It's very German. The whole thing's in German, but that means you know it's good. It's going to be like authentic German, some sort of German Pilsner of, or a Festmarzen is what it is. So here we go. And actually, this yeah, is a I rare- made a stat. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that. That's the recording. Oh, I- here. No, no, you're fine. Um, I was saying um, um, I had to dig into the back of the fridge. Gosh, dang it. Festmarzen. I don't need. Oh, uh, today is my Friday. It's rare, but I took off. Tomorrow, which is actually a Friday recording on a Thursday night, I took off tomorrow a Friday, which I normally work Fridays or have sedations and things, but I took off to go outside and like do some look for shed antlers and do some hunting related activities. And we're supposed to get like three inches of rain tomorrow. So I think I'm going to work on just like have like a bum staycation day. So it's kind of nice not really have a lot on the schedule. It's cool to have like those days off once in a while, like when you're used to working five days a week to like have a day off to kind of just not have a lot planned and to recharge can be kind of nice. Oh yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's important. You're going to, you'll never re- regret those decisions. Are you guys working? You know, I, it's been a while since we've caught up, but are you guys both working like fairly full time still like four and five days a week? Or do you guys, what do you, what's your guys' schedule looking like right now? Um, I, I work a, a full schedule. I, I work four or five days a week, depending on, you know, whether I have a, um, I'll do four days in the, in the office. And if I have hospital cases, I'll do those on my day off or, you know, how it goes, you're, you're in the office, uh, doing catch up work and charts and administrative stuff. So I kind of work five days a week, most weeks. Um, and but- I'm in my clinic in the office Tuesday and Thursday, full time. And then Friday are the ORs. And then depending on the week, um, I'm at the dental school. A couple days a month so some weeks it's almost full-time and then i started a free dental clinic um for kids at the free dental clinic in iowa city and i just started that um our first day our first clinic day was um january so once a month i i staff that um a day a week or a day a month so depending on the week it can be pretty busy yeah, when you add all those activities together, but Beth, tell me about um, tell me about teaching. That's something that is still on my list. Where like I I feel like I've spent a lot of time missing like the days that in not to say I miss academia, but I miss like the collaboration of being in a dental school setting, and it's something I've put off. But it's definitely on my um, to do list. But how often are you adjuncting? Like, what's that been like? Has that been kind of nice to get back and like have some good days at the dental school and everything? Yeah, I love it. Um, in the spring, I'm there two Wednesdays a month, um, so two times a month. And then in the fall, I drop back to one because I also sit on the admissions committee and it gets really busy. Uh, so it's really hard to have 
two two days a month plus sit on the committee because there's just umpteen meetings and then the requirements for interviewing are pretty stout so uh, mm-hmm. but I love being at the school it's it's I'm with you like academia for me full-time is probably not I'm not suited for it but I love being at the school teaching uh, I love the culture of the school it's very different from private practice uh, you, you when you walk in the school you know families know what how kids are going to be treated, you know, no parents back. You remember all this stuff, all the things that we were taught. And so when you walk in there, like, it's just so nice because it, you can, you get to do your job well, you know, you don't have to worry about parents on top of you and bad Facebook and Instagram reviews and things of that nature that you worry about every single day in your own office. So it's, it's just nice. Like your shoulders drop, you can breathe easier. Mm-hmm. It's just different. You know, it's nice. It's just different. You know, the, there's definitely more red tape and there's, you have to, you know, when you need help with things, it, it's a little bit harder with ortho and oral surgery and endo, but versus like being in your private practice. But the school is just so nice from the standpoint of like getting to do the dentistry and not worrying about, you know, your bad review or a parent on top of you or anything like that. For sure. I actually am going back to Iowa city on, it's a Monday in a couple weeks, like March 20th, I think on the 21st, but I'm going back. I'm giving the same lecture I gave last year, which was like my first stab at like lecturing but I wanted to go back and do like a business lecture. So I went and talked to, uh, I think it was fourth years to fourth, fourth years last year. And I made this whole intricate presentation that was like a really straightforward streamlined presentation on cash flow through a dental office, like, like step-by-step understanding of like how you get insurance information from a patient, like how you, you know, to collect, um, you know, get a breakdown of benefits entered into your system, like just how a dollar travels from the patient's pocket all the way to your pocket, like basic bookkeeping. I had like an example of an Amish man that pays all cash, somebody that's PPO, good examples, like simple math. I like spent a lot of time on it and I thought the presentation went well, but like of the 80 students, you could tell like there's about 10 of them that are like the business minded ones that are going to go own a practice quickly. And those kids were like really zoned in and the rest of them were just on Instagram the whole time. So that was like a little bit of a bummer. But I, I want to hear that lecture, Casey. You can yeah, come give so, that lecture to me. That sounds okay, awesome. I can do that next time we're all together. Yeah, it was uh, my little nerdy <laughs> business. <laughs> just so. bring, when we're at the bar next time, just bring your little portable, you know, projector and <laughs> rocket. Yeah, <laughs> be fun. I did, and I saw <laughs> I met the residents too, the Peds residents. So I went and I had like a little mini presentation on, like you know, like how to start a dental practice and peds and making Medicaid profitable and some stuff like that. But I talked a lot about those topics, but a lot of the um, residents seem to really want to spend more time. Like they, they ended up asking more like clinical based questions. Like how often do you use septo was like, we talked a lot about local anesthetic techniques. And I was like, yeah, I pretty much use septo for like 90% of what anyways. So they want to know the, the tech, the um, clinical stuff, which I get, cause that's like what they're, you know, fully, uh, that's fully- what they're needing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so let's back up because we kind of blew past this part. But you obviously is different because we all know each other. But for everybody tuning in, you know, just getting listeners caught up, I thought it'd be cool to have you guys on because we talked about doing this for a while. Um, Because I I like I like having multiple guests on at one time. And it's easy to do that with spouses. And it's cool to have like multiple like 
like power couple, multi-specialty type um, couples on. So I thought this would be cool. And I like the oral surgery realm of things. So if you will, could you guys like kind of go through and get everybody caught up with like your background, your training, where you're from, what your practice looks like now, kind of what your day-to-day professional career looks like up until this point, get us up to speed. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I, unlike Beth, I, I kind of took the, the conventional route. I, I went into dental school right out of college and, um, um, I, um, I, you know, I, I, I had, I guess I kind of just got, got lucky, stumbled upon dentistry here, you know, Beth and I were dating at the time and her father was a dentist and I had a good friend in dental school and I just was persuaded that was a good way to go. And, and I uh, feel like, um, it's just a really fortunate decision. Um, and I was just happy to be in dental school. Um, but, um, I, you know, I just kind of fell in love with oral surgery in dental school. And, and, um, after I finished, I, I trained at the university of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee is a busy program. Um, it was good training, you know, I had a really good experience there. And then, um, uh, immediately after I finished training, there was an opportunity in Iowa city. Um, and so I was all in, I was interested in coming back here. I enjoyed this area. Um, so I've been in practice for 15 years and, um, I, most of my practice, you know, like my Monday through Friday is, I guess you'd call it a, a fairly, um, typical private practice, mostly dental, alveolar and implants and all the same things that most, you know, oral surgeons do in private practice. But I try to maintain a, a kind of healthy hospital practice. I enjoy doing hospital cases, whether it's osteotomies or I work at the university and I work with the residents and I do trauma call. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's been really satisfying for me because I have a nice variety of cases and, um, um, but you know, my Monday through Friday is pretty much like anyone else that's in oral surgery. So it's kind of my, do you own the practice? Are you an associate or do you, are you partnered up or how big of a practice are we talking that with uh, the guys? Yeah, we have, we have, we currently have three surgeons and we have a fourth, uh, joining us in, um, in July. She's finishing up at the university this year. Um, so yeah, I've been a, a partner in a practice for, I don't know, probably 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, uh, you know, and I, I don't know if oral surgery works the same way with pediatrics and, and you maybe shed some light on this. I'm sure times have changed a little bit, but what's the, a partnership track look like for a typical oral surgeon, you know, as you know, you think of like pedo, the old model of there's a single pedo doc, new pedo associate comes in, <clears throat> works for a few years gets a big loan, buys out pediatric dentist, but I know a lot of oral surgery practices get big and expensive. And I think there's it, it uh, maybe more like, um, deferred compensation type models where you work for a smaller percentage and then it's kind of like a, a gradual buy-in after a certain number of years, but what, what's the buy-in route? What's kind of the typical way that works for an oral surgery practice? Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think in this day and age, it, it varies so much between practices, you know, traditionally it was kind of like you described, there'd be, you know, um, a couple years, maybe two years of associateship and there'd be, you know, stock purchase where you'd, you'd pay cash. In my case, I kind of had a cash, uh, and a, uh, deferred income. I kind of had the two of them. Okay. We, we'd kind of settle on a, a split and, um, but you know, I've asked I've asked colleagues about this, and it varies so much. I, I've heard some practices they have a um, 
a lengthy associateship period, maybe uh, four or five years, but at the end of that period, you're a partner and you're fully vested. Um, we've kind of adopted the, you know, we, we've shortened our associateship to a year. We kind of feel like, you know, if we land the right person, it's somebody we, we already know we want. Um, and after a year, we feel like, okay, I think we can both decide if, if this is working out, we're happy. Um, we don't want to prolong the process. We want to get the, the, that person into the practice and invested in the practice. So we have a year associateship and, and we still have a, a cash buy-in, but, um, it really varies a lot, you know, and, and the dollar amounts vary. Um, but I'm finding that, um, there's, there's definitely an incentive to get the right people into your practice early. You know, if, you know, you don't, I think there's, there's an advantage to getting them in as a partner, you retain them. Um, you can tell pretty early if it's going to work out. And so, you know, like a lot of places we, we, we're, we're pretty quick to get a partner in. Makes sense. I just had a long, uh, I made a post and kind of had a discussion on dental town about this, like bringing on an associate model. And it's a probably a whole nother podcast for another time, but you know, it's, you guys have obviously been around and established for a while and have a lot of oral surgeons there and, and have a larger practice, but you know, you kind of reach from a pedo standpoint, like the point where Beth, I know, um, you're, um, the, I guess your owner, it's Dr. Um, oh my gosh, Foster. Dr. Balster. Yeah. He and I had the same conversation where he's like, you know, I've been, I started this practice. I've worked at it forever. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready to bring on an associate. And then I know he found you and it's worked out really well, but I have a lot of those days and I made a dental town post about it, you know, about how, what's the right way and when's the right time to bring on an associate is the extra headache and time and investment and, and all that worth making that big jump from a single doc office to a multi-doc office. And, and, you know, it's just kind of scary because things seem to be working well as a solo provider, but then you also get to the point where you reach capacity and the phones keep ringing and you can't keep up with everything. And so it's just kind of this weird, like adolescent growing phase of the practice where, um, I've just been dragging my feet and I probably could make the, um, um, make the switch, but, um, I didn't even remember how I got on this tangent, but it's cool that, you know, Chad on your end, you guys have like a, a big practice. Once you've made that jump to a multi-doctor practice, then the, the formula seems a lot more cut and dry on you find the right person. It makes sense. Like we've done this before systems are in place. It seems a little bit easier to just like follow the recipe to like bring them in, make them a partner and things seem to um, go well where, and maybe Beth, this could be a good transition for you because I believe you were Dr. Balster's first associate when you started, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, tell, me, um, tell me about that and your background and how that all went. Oh, sure. So I actually didn't take the straight line path, which, you know, I guess that's the way I operate sometimes. Uh, but I started out in engineering and I did that for about eight years and then transitioned to nonprofit, thinking that I was going to save the world that way. Uh, and it did for a while. And then I did a dental mission trip with Chad. I don't even know, 2013 to Jamaica. And my dad came and brought dental students. And I think that we kind of just changed my life. Came back home, quit my job, uh, went back to school and then was in dental school a year and a half later. Um, so, and then, you know, thought just get in and out of dental school and be done. But of course I fell in love with pedo and did two year residency at Iowa. Um, and then 
Yeah. I mean, Iowa City, even though it needs a lot of dentists, I didn't have like a, you know, I didn't have like a obvious opportunity right off the bat, but uh, Eric reached out to me and he was looking for somebody and we met a couple times and he's just, we've just had a great fit. Um, I'm still an associate. We're kind of working on looking at uh, a partnership contract, but it's kind of in the infancy right now. Um, just because taxes are coming up. So we're pulling all that information together and looking into that. But hopefully, I think Chad and I were just actually talking, hopefully by the end of the year mm-hmm. is kind of the goal to be looking at signing on the dotted line. That would be my goal. Yeah. How? So, uh, what was the process like when you started? Because, um, you know, were there headaches or things that worked well, or were there growing pains as far as like the space or kind of implementing a second doctor into your practice? And then kind of what's your day-to-day and patient load looked like and what's that practice kind of looked like since you started? Yeah. Well, when when I started, he was in his old office, which is literally, I can see it from our new office now, but it kind of just was perfect timing. When I came in, we overlapped in that old office for about two weeks we shut down and moved to the new office, which we have uh, an open bay with five chairs, and then we have three built-out quiet ops, and we have one quiet op that we're looking to build out, another quiet op. So we'll have, when all is said and done, we'll have nine chairs. Um, and when we're running full bore, it works pretty well, but I'm still, you know, I'm still growing. I, I think the way we started out, and I'm not sure if you know, my co-residents, it was a little different when they started out, but we did not share the hygiene. We, we don't share the hygiene at all. So uh, pretty much all new patients went to me. Almost all the consults went to me. Um, and then they had, and then from there I built ops and um, referrals from that. So it's been, I mean, a year and a half, I'm definitely seeing a lot of growth, but I'm probably like somewhere between 30 to 35 patients a day. Um, I started and it was probably somewhere between, I don't know, 18 and 20, 18 Mm. to 20, something like that. So I'm slowly growing and building my practice. Um, um, and to the point where now I'm adding an extra day. So it's taken some time, but really in the grand scheme of things in a year and a half, when you look back, it really has grown pretty steadily and pretty fast. But when you're impatient, it seems like it's taking forever. <laughs> right. And you, uh, yeah. I think, I think we, oh, I'm sorry, Chad, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add one, one thing, uh, Casey, um, just to go back to the bringing on associates. You'd mm-hmm. asked about that. You'd, you'd given this some thought for your practice. And um, I'm sure you have probably far more business acumen than I do. Uh, I'm, I'm certain of that. But I will say, having been in practice for 15 years, I, I have a little bit perspective. And I would say um, there never seems to be a time where it's the perfect time for the practice and the perfect individual is is interested. And I have to say that, that um, having the right business partners is really uh, critical for your long-term satisfaction with your business and your job. Um, I mean, you've got to you've got to have the right people that you can communicate with, that you're that you respect, that you can make decisions with, um, that you feel good about being a practice with. All these things, it's it's critically important. You can trust them, you know. And so, when the right 
when someone you're excited about, someone you like, there's an opportunity, maybe it presents itself. My advice to most people would be, don't worry about the obstacles. Maybe you're concerned about financial obstacles or making it work in the long term. If it's a good relationship, those things will straighten themselves out and the long-term benefits will outweigh any short-term obstacles you have to making someone a partner in your practice. If, if that's what you're ready for, if you, if that's where you want to take your practice. That seems like extremely wise advice. That was like, I don't know. That was what I needed to hear right there. I like that. And also, um, it, it almost puts into perspective that maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way from like a scarcity mindset. Like what happens if I, you know, I could see how it would be tempting to for me, okay, I'm going to build out the chairs. I'm going to start hiring staff. I'm going to get all ready. And then I need to go find an associate and you rush out and you pick up the first person that you, that, you know, that you can come across and maybe force that puzzle piece to fit when it's not the right fit. Or almost the way that you're approaching it is like, I, I like the idea of like, slow it down and shift gears to like, I'm going to maybe get more involved in some residency programs. I'm going to do some more networking and like, just try to like cast a slow wide net, like looking for the right person. And maybe that's like teaching or adjuncting and you get to meet residents in different programs. And then eventually you come across that right person. And then you're like going back to what you said, like, this is the right fit. And then, then you're able to make everything else work from there. So kind of yeah. like getting, let's say like getting married or starting a practice, there's never a perfect time. Like you kind of just have to like, if, if the person is right, the rest is going to fall into place. So that seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 And if they want to be there, you know, if they're, is excited to be a part of your practice and work with you is you're excited to have them. They're going to bring so much value to your practice that all the, the other things that you're worrying about. And, and I know these are big dollar issues and these are, I mean, these are big concerns, but they'll, they'll certainly take care of themselves. If you have someone highly motivated to be there is excited to be there as you are, they're, they're going to create tremendous value for everybody. Mm -hmm. That too. And um, there's some other, like you kind of alluded to, I guess outside of financial benefits, but you know, there's like work satisfaction and just like a quality work life. Like one of those um, qualities might just be like having another dentist to like hang out with and, and shoot cases with and stuff. Like that's something I think about a lot where, you know, it's like, there's all the time I like text my co-residents and stuff. Like, how would you guys do this? It'd be really nice to have another set of eyes to like bounce ideas off, Not, you know, business ideas, practice growth ideas. HR ideas, like case management, how would you do this? Like, would you tackle this? How would you treatment plan that? And like all that goes out the window when you're the only dentist in, you know, a hundred mile radius of some sort, you know, so that like a big group practice like yours, Chad, would be, I see a lot of benefit to that. And it's something hopefully I think I look forward to that day when I get another set of eyes in there. That'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, from like, from my perspective of being the associate coming in, obviously a newbie grad, what I have, I mean, for those that are listening that are, you know, looking, you know, new, like maybe going to graduate residents or um, maybe not even new, but or new residents, you know, but it's not, you know, it's not a lot of residency. So you have, have to start thinking about where you're going to go pretty quickly. Uh, thinking about the person you're going to practice with is super important. Uh, finding somebody whose practice philosophy is very similar to yours, or if it's not, they're willing to allow you to practice as independently as you need to for your personality. Uh, so I think that's pretty important too. And then a lot of the things that, you know, obviously in our practices, we, pediatric practices, we don't, we share assistance and things like that, but 
you know, just making sure you understand all those things when you go in, because um, if that's your goal to have your, you know, I mean, just thinking about what, what, how you want your day to look and, and thinking about like the person you're, you know, sharing your space with day to day is super important. I, I feel super respected in my position where I'm at. I don't, doesn't feel like I'm an associate. It feels like I'm making decisions right along with Eric. Obviously I'm not paying the bills every single day, but that's the goal. And I'm being treated like that. So, and the staff looks at me like that too, because that's how he treats me. So I'm his partner essentially, and the staff treats me as such. So I think that's a really important thing to think about when you're stepping into a practice as a new associate, uh, making sure you're talking to all of the people that work there, talking to the doctor, talking to the other staff. Are there other doctors there? What is their experience? Uh, because I would say of the three of uh, of the four of us that graduated, um, the other experiences haven't been as good uh, for whatever reason. And it's not their fault. It's not their office's fault. It's just been, you know, some different challenges that they've had. So, mm-hmm. And it, I also wonder, is pediatric dentistry maybe challenging in this regard um, with like the new divergence in like treatment planning philosophies? I feel like that's big, you know, like you get a lot of pediatric dentists that are maybe outside the box, you know, alternative thinking where it's more conservative. Like I just had on, um, Dr. Cohen, who, um, uh, Dr. Deborah, she was talking about all the LSTR, um, margin elevation, hall crowns, like really just alternative ways to treat cavities that are not as mainstream either now or yet. And then you've got the more traditional guys that are drill and fill, like, um, you know, complete decay removal as you know, whereas like oral surgery, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but it's like, you got to get that tooth out. You know, you, there's different kinds of ways to do it, but the ultimate goal is pretty cut and dry. You're removing the tooth, but you know, it almost makes me wonder, would it be a good exercise if you're trying to find the right associate and you're just shooting the shit with this potential associate? It's like, Hey, I've got like five or six cases here. Like, I'm curious, like you tell me, like, I'd be interested to know how would you tackle treating these cases? This is a three-year-old here, are the x-rays, this is, you know, socioeconomic status here, are all the factors, how would you tackle this? And you're going to get, you know, a whole wide range of treatment plans, but like it might, you know, if you're trying to decide between a couple of different people to partner with or join a practice, like that could be kind of eye-opening to be like, wow, this person treatment plans completely different. Like the way that I do things, like maybe this person doesn't like taking kids to the OR and likes to put hall crowns on everything and puts SDF on everything. And then this person like drills out every little incipient thing they see. So like, I think pediatric dentistry is challenging in that regard. Yeah. I think it just depends on what your goals are. Like if you're, if you find that you're okay with your associate having that my, a different mindset from you, then that's okay. If you want them to practice similarly to you, then I would say that's something you should focus on for sure. I think it's really nice with Eric and I, that relationship, we practice so similarly, although we do a lot of things different. Uh, I mean, practicing or training 15 years apart, I mean, not a ton has changed, but enough has changed that the things that I do, like, you know, using Isolite or Dry Shield, which I loved your... uh, you and Nate talking about that. (laughs) But I mean, I use that for everything and he uses a rubber dam, but he's super comfortable with me doing that. And they bought the system for me. So, Mm -hmm. because that's how I'm comfortable treating. Is that a huge divergence? It could be for some. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, rubber dams are the only way to go, but 
you and I know, like things are changing and you got to change along with it. And so uh, I think Eric was pretty excited about having me come in because it allowed him to try new things. And if he likes it, great. But, you know, things don't things that work well in my hands maybe don't work as well as his. And he's been doing that for 16 years. So for him, it's like super quick to stick a rubber dam on for me. I love the isolate. It works great for me. Mm-hmm. So it's what I do. But, you know, it's those little things. It's just a matter of like how much control do you want to have and how much are you willing to give, how much autonomy are you willing to give that person that's going to step in next to you every single day? Mm-hmm. You know, Casey, I might, I might, um, like, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's bad necessarily that you, you have um, the same philosophy on, on treatment. But I don't think it's realistic to think that a long-term partnership is going to involve both of you seeing eye to eye on how to treat everything. And that's okay. If I look at my partners, we're all different personalities. We all have different ways of treating the same thing, you know, and, and, and we do our anesthetics slightly different. We handle certain surgical situations different. Um, we have different interests, you know, like you know, I, I like doing pediatrics, I think, for example, um, but I have partners that have no interest in that. And that's okay. It, it, it's kind of nice uh, in the sense that we have three or four different practices under one roof, you know, but at the end of the day, we all respect one another. And I, and I don't have any, 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 there's no red flags as far as how my part, my, my partner's practicing he, in this case, just handles it differently, you know, and, and so, um, so that's always going to be an issue. You know, you're always going to be a little bit different in terms of your practice philosophy or how, how you might handle things. But, um, you certainly don't want to practice with someone you don't, you don't respect how they're treating somebody or how they might handle a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. And you know what, what you were saying, Beth, like it does also seem there's a line you walk there too, to some degree, because I know a lot of my co-residents and co-residents from other classes of ours at Iowa, like got into associateships where, you know, you, you sometimes land into it right off the bat and you see really eye to eye with the people that hire you on or your bosses or partners and everybody clicks and it goes really well. But it seems like for every one of those where you guys are able to make it work, even with subtle differences, like between you and Dr. Balster, like you get what a lot of our other co-residents have, where like the first one or two associateships like were not a good fit, like seemed really good and rosy at first glance when you're signing the paper in residency, but you get out and it's like really nitpicky, micromanaging cases, like telling you how you can and can't practice, not seeing eye to eye. I mean, we both have people in both of our, you know, our um, classes that are just had a hard time with their first associateships. I think that just seems to be you know, I'd love to see the the numbers on like what percentage of uh, first associate jobs that pediatrics, maybe oral surgeons take that it doesn't work out as well as planned. And then they're out of that job within the first, you know, couple of years, because it seems like it'd be pretty high. That's your uh, research project for your resident when you go back in adjunct. If I get a survey like- from that in the in, an email yeah. survey, yeah, I'm going to, I'll give somebody like free credit, you know, we can, we can, somebody can take that on as their research project. Yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So maybe if uh, one of the other things I wanted to chat about a little bit and pivot was because you guys came from a little bit of a, what do they call like a non-traditional like pathway into like, I guess your dental careers, right? You guys, like Beth, you got, you were married and had another job, went back. When did kids come into the picture with this? Cause you guys have two kids now. Yep. Two kids. 
14 and almost uh, 17. 14, 17. Um, so you would have already been in dental school and all that, but I just, I wanted to step back and like ask about family life and changes and how, how kids factored into this, like the timeline of things with how you guys did your education and, um, like what your family situation was like, I guess, early on in training and, and earlier in life. You go first. Hmm. Well, um, well, we had our, we had our son when I was in my last year of residency. Um, and then my daughter, when I, when I started practicing. So, um, I guess, you know, as far as the children were concerned at the time you, you were working part-time, you know, and, and, um, full-time, what do you mean part-time? Uh, well, full-time. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. Um, but it seems like we didn't have, I don't remember having problem, um, with being present for the kids. I feel like, that was not an issue. The, the bigger issue, I guess, um, maybe I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but I think the, the biggest struggle was when, when you went back to school and when you were in dental school and then residency, there was a six year period there where our kids were, um, you know, and the, ad, you know, they were adolescents there or what late. They weren't adolescents. They were in grade school. I get, yeah, <laughs> You're jumping too. Ahead. Well, at any rate, <laughs> I, I felt like, you know, that we, we utilized, you know, um, in home daycare quite a bit. Like it, we had a, a, nanny. a nanny. Yeah. And, um, which was great. You know, it, it allowed us, it allowed Beth to do, it allowed me to work and allowed Beth to go to school. I mean, we couldn't have done it without, without other family or a nanny. Um, but I feel like that was a period of time where maybe we were as present as we would have liked to be, but that was just the way it had to be. But we've always been, I don't yeah. feel like the kids have ever been shorted attention, like our, yeah. our presence and time and attention from us. Yeah. I think for Chad and I, it's always been really important whether or not we, I think looking back now, it, we maybe didn't verbalize it, you know, from the time we had Charlie, our first child to Rainy and now, I don't think we've ever really verbalized it, but I think now looking back, what I could say is we've always prioritized our time, Chad and I, either together or apart. It's always been very important for us to exercise. It's always been very important for us to have our own careers, uh, time together. You know, sometimes we're great about having a date night and sometimes we're not, but it's, that's always been really important. And I would say in the past, I would have said, you know, that we were selfish, but in, but now looking back, I think it was really important for our entire family because our kids are far from perfect, but they're super independent. Uh, they can hold their own. They can hold conversations with adults. Uh, they know what they want for the most part. And, and I'm very proud of that. You know, I mean, there's lots of things that we didn't do well, but, and we messed up a lot of things. And that's the part of being a parent. You just have to accept you're not going to do things well. You're not going to be perfect. Uh, but it's always been really important to us that we've had our own thing. And I think it's important for our kids to see that too. And looking back, I wouldn't change anything. I would still go back to dental school. If you ripped my dental license from me right now and told me I had to go back, I'd do it again. Wow. Uh, you brought, you brought up the point about the in-home daycare. Well, I should back up. You know, we talked about this before the show started rolling, but, um, it's Facebook official, but I haven't actually like I think mentioned on the podcast yet that we've got a baby coming in May, which my wife is, we're both very excited about, but my wife's like full board, like the nesting and the nursery and like 
on the Instagram <laughs> pages, like counting the kicks, the whole nine yards. And so, um, we were pretty excited about it. And so I, I like have wanted to talk more about like, it's starting to pique my interest. Like how, you know, are there tips or appropriate ways to kind of juggle being a new dad, raising, like, like spending enough time with the baby while also owning a practice and like finding that balance. Cause you know, your practice is like the first baby and takes all your time and it gets really easy to get sucked in and spend way too much time and effort there. And I'm just, I'm going to be interested to see how, what, how good of a job I guess I can do juggling both where, you know, I still give the baby plenty of time, but keep the practice going. It's, I think it's going to be challenging to do, but, um, we are going to get a nanny, which is going to be, I think expensive, but kind of to your guys's point, I think that's going to be a key thing to like, make sure we got the help we need at home. We don't have to deal with like a sick baby at war. Like, like if, if I had to take a kid to daycare and they call me and say like, your little girl's sick, like you got to come get her. Like I'd have to shut down the office. My wife and I work like an hour and a half the opposite direction. So some challenges there, but, um, I think the nanny is going to be important, but I'm kind of looking forward to like, you know, it sounds like you guys from what you just said, like did a really nice job splitting time up appropriately and prioritizing spending time with your kids. And I hope I can, um, do a good job of that. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure you, you will, of course, uh, you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, I, I think if, if I were to be honest, I think the, um, I think it's been more important the last 10 years, like when they get to a certain age, um, I, th I think the teen years uh, are, is, it's even more critical to spend the, to be present, spend the time, be involved with them, talk to them. Um, because these are the years they're going to remember. These are their formative years. This is where they're really becoming little adults. Um, I mean, every age is special and it's important to be present, but I think it becomes increasingly important as they get, you know, to be that, what, 9, 10 to 18 year range mm -hmm. where I agree. that that is, in my mind, even more important to be to be there with them. And and um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. You feel the same way? Yeah, I do. And it's been harder. Else, I mean, babies are hard. <laughs> That's for sure. And you want to scream sometimes. But I think that this stage has been the hardest right now where we're at has been. And because they're independent, we've raised them this way, but it's a catch 22. So mm -hmm. we've raised them to be their own thinkers and doers. And we don't always want them to do the things they do and think. And unfortunately they feel differently. So it's been, it's been really challenging uh, to be parents to two kids that we've raised this way. But um, I, you know, I, every time they, they drive me crazy with these things. I think that it's serving them well in the long run. And, and they're, it's fun when it's, when, when we have, when we go to dinner, or we have dinner at home. It's the conversations are awesome. Uh, Cause we can go off in many different ways, but, but back to the baby piece, you know, you're not, you know, I think you try to do everything well, but lack of sleep and, um, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and, you know, there's only one way to do it. You just got to go through and do it and you'll find your own way. And you'll, what you'll find is you'll, you'll get advice from everybody under the sun. Everybody's got an opinion on baby products and how to do something, uh, you know, how to sleep train your kid or whatever, you know, what you should be feeding them, all this stuff, right? Like what school they should go to. And the 
the best advice I can give parents is just you and your spouse being on the same page and being good to each other and all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. You just got to do what's right for you and, and let all that noise go away because everybody's got an opinion. And even now, like raising kids with social media, like all the things that are out there for parents to see and feel bad about it's, it's tough. And so just putting that noise away is, is the best advice I can give. Yeah. It'll be nice to, uh, I've hinted at this before, but it's going to be cool to have a little street credit as a pediatric dentist, especially like I've been, I've done way more lip and tongue ties in the last like six months than I ever really care to do. I honestly don't really like doing them, but, um, Chad, you might like this. I use an electro surgery. I have a, I bought a, um, it's a company called Macon, but I could either, I was like, well, all these moms want these lip and tongue ties done on these little babies and ask me all these nursing and baby questions. And I don't have a baby at home. So I just kind of like, I always say like, I don't know anything about nursing lactation consulting, but I'm not a speech language pathologist, but like, I know what a tongue tie looks like and I know how to release it. So, but instead of buying a $40,000 laser, I was like, well, I could buy a $2,000 electrosurgery unit and it's got like a, like a bipolar, uh, hookup for mm -hmm. it. So you can. You can use the grounding pad and uh, monopolar, but I use um, I use the bipolar forceps, and they work really, really slick. I give a little drop of local if the kid's older than like six months old, but go in and I zip it away. But I started doing it like as just some you know some kind of outside the box, and and you know like all these baby moms all talk to each other, and now I do like I do a ton of them. So, <laughs> like, I do baby a and they're like, and I had one a few days ago, the chiropractor, you know, we went to our chiropractor and did the baby's adjustment and then he noticed a tongue tie. And so here we are. Oh, like, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've walked into a world that I had no interest in walking into, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I do, I do look forward to having, um, you know, a little bit more knowledge about like the nursing side of thing and raising babies and, you know, actually having some personal stories about the struggles of, you know, breaking a pacifier habit or a toddler doesn't want to brush their teeth or a kid that gets addicted to fruit snacks or something. It'll be nice to like give some personal reference as a parent to help those parents that like want some tips on how to make a difference at home. So that'd be kind of nice. And you can also relate to them too. I think, I think, you know, as one of the things that I think is the most powerful tool for us as clinicians is to say to the parent, you know, I went through this with my kid or my, it's, our son drinks copious amounts of soda. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just, and I mean, that's true. He does. And I can relay that to these parents. And I think they appreciate that. Like we are not perfect. Our kids, one of them is a terrible brusher. I don't know how he doesn't have loads of cavities, but I can use this to, relate to my parents because I think sometimes they come in, I know at least I do when I go see my pediatrician for my kids or when I go to my own doctor for my own thing, I feel guilty that I'm not doing all the things like X, Y, Z that I should be doing that are impossible to, to live up to. And so I think when they see us as humans and we're giving them one or two things to work on or to try, it holds a lot more weight when you can say, you know, I'm struggling with these things as well with my own kids, or I went through this with my kid when they were your age, or my kid, our kids sucked their thumb until they were eight. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> we're two dentists and we have kids that suck their thumb. So, and I'm a dentist kid and I sucked my thumb. So I think it holds a lot of, not that not having a kid doesn't, isn't good. It's just, 
you can relate to them on a different scale and you've gone through some of these things and you won't go through everything, but you've gone through some of them. And I think when you can just be human in front of them and be vulnerable and tell them you're struggling, it makes all the difference in the world and they feel comfortable with you and they feel so much more comfortable with you. Um, I think another, another thing that's going to be giving me a little bit of hope and confidence is like, I, I feel like on a daily basis, I see a lot of really terrible parenting and so, uh, I know like, you know, pediatric dentists too tend to be, and like my wife, you know, she's a full-time clinical pharmacist. She works in an ICU, she commutes, she's got a, a really good, important job. And so she's going to go back to work full-time. But that being said, like she doesn't work with kids and parents all day. So she's like, you know, has a little bit more anxiety about, you know, making sure everything goes right and you follow the research and do all the things. But, you know, I think that's another thing when you see a lot of really bad parenting, it gives you some confidence that like, man, if these people can keep this kid alive where, you know, they're the kid, one kid's climbing up your, you know, your open bay curtain and another kid's doing somersaults in the waiting room and sumo plexing off a chair. And like, if they can keep their kids alive, like I'm not that worried about it. Like I have some confidence, like from just even our behavior management skills that like, you know, that we get practice on a daily basis. Like I'm not super worried from like a disciplining, raising good, like you guys said, independent, critical thinking, good kids that, you know, listen and do the things they're supposed to. like I'm not super worried about that part. I think almost I'm almost as much worried about in the initial stages like the sleep and schedule thing could be really hard for me like you know I try to like prioritize getting some good quality sleep like best in a good mattress. I try to go to bed at a good time and not drink coffee late and all these things. And like, obviously you guys know, that's going to all go out the window and I'm going to be dragging my ass <laughs> to work, like doing sedation cases and things. So in a weird way, like that's a big thing that I'm a little nervous about, but kind of like you said, I'm sure like your body adapts and you love this little baby that you make and you just kind of make it work. But that's, that could be a little challenge for me too. Yeah. The, the sleep thing's real. Um, that's not fun, but you'll, uh, you, you'll, you'll get through it. You'll be fine. You, you guys are going to do great. And uh, you're right. There, there are a lot of parents out there setting a pretty low bar for you. So, um, there, you know, I think with the sleep thing, the first out and I was, I mean, I was a sleep Nazi. I mean, when, you know, when they said, when the book said you can start sleep training this kid, I did it. In fact, I might've even started a little too early, but, uh, so that was something I was pretty diligent on, for me, that was huge piece because I don't do well without sleep and nor does Chad. But I will mm-hmm. say those first few months, uh, I can remember the frustration and the lack of sleep and the crying and all that sort of stuff. But but for the most part that you forget all that. I mean, I remember poignant moments, but I don't remember, as, you know, like if you relived that whole three months or first three months, it probably seemed horrible. Mm-hmm. But you're young. You're going to, you're going to bounce right back with that baby. And you're like, you said, you love it and you'll get through it. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it is, it's a challenge. Like you, it's hard to not, the, the biggest thing I would say too, is like as spouses, it's hard to not resent each other for one way reason or another. And that's just part of it and getting through that and talking and communicating. And, um, you know, when you're tired and just you're mad because somebody came home late from work and they didn't do as much as you. I mean, it's just, it's basic being married things, but you get through it and, and uh, just, you know, talking it out. And a lot of it is just lack of sleep. 
Yeah. So now that, you know, I guess you guys are almost on the other end of the spectrum to some extent, what's the, what's the age of your youngest one again? 14. 14. Okay. So, you know, you've got another four years and that day's going to come when you guys are the, the empty nest scene and, um, things are going to change, which is the opposite. Yeah. You're like, Ooh, here we go. <laughs> um, so I guess what, what do you guys foresee like the future looking like in the full household? Like, you know, it sounds like Beth, you've been kind of dipping your toes into maybe getting back into some call it nonprofit world and some free dental, you know, um, you know, free dentistry clinic, which seems cool, but do you guys have any big plans? Do you plan to, you know, keep working in some capacity for an extended period of time still? Do you, um, I, I don't know, just like, what, what do you guys see life looking like after the kids yeah. kind of start leaving the house? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that we really talked about like, what's our, like, we don't have like a 15 year plan. First of all, I'm dreading the, I'm dreading the, the kids leaving actually. I mean, we, we joke around about them, but I adore <laughs> our kids and I can't, I can't stand the thought of them moving away to be honest with you, but, um, they will leave the nest here. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I enjoy work a lot. I love what I do. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, uh, that'll stay that way and I'll continue to work for quite a while. Um, probably, uh, maybe slow it down a little bit, I suppose. It'd probably be in my best interest to, to, um, to maybe find a little bit more work-life balance. I could always use a little bit more of that, I think, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I just started. So as Chad says, <laughs> I need to crack the whip. He's cracking the whip on me. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'd like to, I can't imagine, I'm kind of like my dad. My dad's still teaching at the dental school and he's almost 75. I can't imagine not working, at least in some capacity, you know, and I, I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm just still working towards full-time pedo, mm -hmm. so I'm not even there yet, mm -hmm. but I have other interests and I, those interests are important to me. Like I said, the dental school and the free dental clinic, like having those uh, other outlets is important for me, my sanity. Like, as you know, Casey, I mean, day in and day out, parents and crazy kids and all of that, having those other, the free dental clinic and working at the dental school provides such a nice ba work balance for me um, where I can just do what I love to do. The dentistry, we, uh, Chad would, Ted, Chad's told me this forever. It's like the dentistry is, is what we love. It's what we love to do. But unfortunately it's all the other stuff outside of that, that gets in the way. And so those, those opportunities allow me to have those moments where I get to just do the dentistry. So I think long-term for me is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we love to travel. We, you know, we're, we like to stay active and we'll visit our kids and I don't know, yeah. who knows what we'll do. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Just be together and enjoy each other's company, <laughs> or maybe we'll kill each other. <laughs> One of the two. Well, too, and it's like, uh, you, you know, just kind of, I guess, reflecting on like what is later stage, like after kids' dentistry look like. You know, you hear a lot of people that like, okay, when the kids leave, you start slowing down. Or some people like think they hate dentistry so much that you know they work until they hit like a freedom retirement number, and then they just like quit cold turkey. But it, it I feel like, I mean, this is just me like introspectively thinking, but I guess like dentistry seems to be such an identity just as like who we are like oh like beth is a dentist like or you know it's like it's your identity it's who you are it's what you spent so many years doing that 
it's like, it's hard to just cut that huge chunk of what you are off and then like walk away from it forever. Cause then you're just like, well, what am I doing here? So it seems like a lot of people, you know, quit. And then after they maybe, maybe like find a, um, reignition of that, like love of what they do. If they, maybe you got to shake it up and get a different job, but it's, it's interesting to me, the number of people that think they don't want to do dentistry anymore. Cause they get burned out and then they, they change the way that they're doing it and then find out a way to continue in, um, enjoying it into their sixties and seventies in a way that like, I'm working not because I need to at this point, but because I found a way to do this that like, I really enjoy doing. There's a lot of need out there for you and I, Beth, you know, there's a ton of kids, endless amounts of kids with cavities. And so like, if, you know, if you can find a way to continue keeping your sanity and work-life balance and find a way that's enjoyable so you can do it for three decades versus like do like a, you know, bottle rocket be done in 10 years or something. Like, I think it's beneficial for everybody. And that's kind of like the answer to this big race is like, you know, like pace yourself in your career and find a way to do dentistry that like you enjoy going to work every day and not getting burnt out. Cause it's, you know, there's just, there's so much need and we're, there's not many of us pediatric dentists and oral surgeons to like keep up with the demand where it's, it's good for everybody. If we can keep our everything in check and do this for a long time. Yeah. I think that's where I look at my dad. I mean, he's kind of reinvented himself as a dentist who owned his own practice for 30 years and taught at the same time. And then when the opportunity presented itself, he took a teaching job. And then obviously with Chad and I in Iowa, he moved from Chicago here, but watching him do what he loves and teach and it's just inspiring to me. And it makes me realize that I think I, I want that same thing. Like, I don't know if, you know, I'll, I'll be doing the dentistry the same way when I'm his age, but I can see myself transitioning into teaching and helping others. And I just, I love that aspect of it. I don't know if I want to do it full time, but I, you know, I love that aspect. I love getting to do what I get to do every single day. And I feel very fortunate. Uh, and I, you know, I wish other people the same. Well, guys, I, uh, you know, I feel like this is a good, like a good discussion on the, on the, um, kids thing. You know, it'd be, it'd be, I almost need to have another pediatric dentist on, you know, sometimes you find pediatric dentists that have like five or six kids and they're like from like six months old to like five years old. I need to like find somebody like that too, to like really get somebody who's like in the trenches of like, yeah, they're in the trenches with you. Yeah. And, uh, topic for another time too, but like we, um, we had IVF stuff we had to do. So we've got like we're probably going to have all sorts of babies. So this is probably just like the first warm up round, <laughs> like embryos and all sorts of thing on hold for us. So, um, it's probably going to be the, you know, May 24th, I think like the start of this new chapter, but, um, oh, awesome. you guys posted oh, and I, I don't know I'm excited for it and we got to get together again. I don't know the next time. Cause actually our baby's going to be due the same week as AAPD. So for the first time in a handful oh, of years. You're not gonna go. I'm really sad because I always like really look forward to that trip. So it's kind of a bummer. Well, if and the so baby comes early, you can take it to Disney. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just take, like I'll take the five day old and we'll just go out to SeaWorld. It'll be a good time. No, I honestly, uh, I think, you know, and this was just me, but I and this is another thing that I think, you know, I am not afraid of germs. So I was out and babies are us like day three. <laughs> I needed to get out of the house. So I was not afraid of that. Um, I don't know. And our kids never get sick. So maybe there's yeah. something to that. I well, don't know. it's, 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 it's a great experience. Um, uh, number one is it's, it's, it's just a super exciting experience. And, 
Yeah. You guys are going to be so happy. You're going to do a great job. It's Thanks, Chad. It's the most important thing in our lives, you know, and we've got great careers and great lives and we enjoy a lot of things, but the kids, you know, they're the most important things. Family's the most important thing. And um, you guys are going to do wonderful. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So, okay. Are you guys, you guys are going to APD then? You're going to be out there in May? Uh, yeah, we are. We're going. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm now a regular at all the pediatric uh, <laughs> meetings. We went to, uh, cool. Oh yeah. We did bourbon and baby teeth. Did I tell you that after oh. boards? No, yeah, I didn't. You know, yeah. So me, that's, you need to put that on your calendar. Yeah. Let uh, me, let me tell you as an interloper, you know, not a specialist in, uh, I don't know if those guys listen to your podcast or not, but, um, they do a nice, uh, we had an awesome time. The parties at that were fantastic. I'd love to go to that again. Yeah, they uh, trust me. I've had like probably like five or six of the main key players in there have all been on the podcast. Like they're well seasoned with the podcast. Those guys are all they're all pretty, pretty cool. And um, I don't know if I'm going to swing at this. The problem is September. I always take off to do a big elk hunt. It's like me and a bunch of dudes go up into the mountains like cavemen for seven days. And we live out of a tent and I come back with a beard and all stinky and it's a great time. But it's always like when the kids go back to school in September and I either have boards going on like last year or this year, I think I'm on an elk hunt. I think I'm going to be in Idaho. So I don't know, like urban and baby teeth is kind of bad timing, but I'm, if I don't get this year, I'll for sure get next year, but I would like to make it more of a regular thing. Cause I have been before and it's a really good time. They put on a good show for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Well, if you're in Iowa city sometime, you're always welcome. Yeah. When are you coming back? Ooh, uh, I'm coming back. Uh, sh we should get together the Sunday night before I teach on that Monday or I teach. I give a lecture on that Monday. I think it's like the 20th or the 21st. That's a Monday. I give a lecture office uh, what? of this month, like in like three weeks. Yeah. I yeah. So that, from that's Sunday. Night. Yeah. So that Sunday night, if you guys are around, I'll text you and we'll see. Maybe we go, go to oh, the chop around. We'll yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. Food. Hell yeah. Okay. Make it happen. You stay in the hotel. I might stay with Bryce. I might get a hold of B Rice, my co resident. Yeah, Bryce is in town. There you go. So he and I just Well, let's get, get Bryce and Nathan out and we'll do is it Nathan? Nate, yeah, get Nate. Nate's still out in Denver, yeah. but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Not if Nate, I not Nate. Bryce's partner. Oh, um, Bryce and um um Jake, um, Jake, Jake, thank you. Bryce and Jake. Yeah. We'll get them out. We'll all go and we'll just talk dentistry the whole time. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then we can write off dinner. <laughs> we can write the whole thing off. It'll be perfect. <laughs> cool. Okay. Let's well, do I'll, it. All right. I'll, well, I'll, I'll put it on the calendar. So I expect okay. to hear from you. Sounds good. Well, I'll make it happen. It'll be a good time. Okay. Cool. Sounds all right, good. guys. Well, hey, this was fun. And uh, I'll hopefully see you guys in a couple weeks. All right. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, love all it. Right. Yeah. And thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate all it. Right, See you bye. guys. All right. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.